You're listening to Highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Professor Richard Wolf. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Marx points out that before capitalism, particularly in Europe, but in many parts of the world, there was another system called feudalism. And before feudalism in Europe and also in many other parts of the world, we often had slavery. And Marx asks us to look at those two systems because they give us a clue about ours. In slavery, similarly with capitalism, you divide the people involved in production into two groups, a small minority, masters, and a large majority, slaves. The slaves do all the work. The masters take the fruits of the slaves' labor, give back to the slaves enough to keep the slaves alive and functioning so that this system can go on, and they keep the rest, what the slaves produce but they don't consume, and Marx called that the surplus, that goes to the masters. A minority, the masters, thereby dominates economically the mass of slaves. And as the history of slavery shows, there are endless slave revolts, big ones, little ones, because this system means that the less the master gives the slave, the more the master has left for himself. Capitalism never broke from that way of organizing a society. You will never be paid what you're worth because there has to be an excess of what you produce, the value of your labor has to be larger than the value paid to you in your wage or your salary, because that's what profit is. This system is fundamentally conflictual and is constantly torn apart and rendered extremely inefficient because of it. And let me stress the last point. Workers are forever angry and bitter about their being exploited, whether or not they're conscious of it. So some of them will be absent a lot and not show up for work. Others will go and drink too much. Others will get high too often. Others will join a labor union. Others will join the Communist Party, and so on and so on. And all of these phenomena undermine the success and efficiency of the system. When there are strikes, it is a mark against the efficiency of the system. In the United States today, where I am sitting, we have tens of millions of people unemployed. Those people consume, but they do not produce. We have roughly a quarter, 25% of our industrial capacity, tools, equipment, machines, factories, sitting idle, unemployed workers, unutilized means of production. 
If they were put together, they could increase output by billions of dollars, solving the poverty problems of this country and the rest of the Western Hemisphere easily. Don't say that capitalism is efficient. It's efficient in each enterprise to the extent that it can. But as a system, it is terribly, terribly inefficient. So what kind of a system, knowing that viruses are a perpetual problem? You know, in recent years, we had SARS and MERS and Ebola. I mean, I could go on. We know. And yet here in the United States, where we have a privatized capitalist medical system, we did not have the tests ready. We did not have the masks ready, the ventilators, the hospital units, the trained personnel. We had nothing. And here is the important point. We have private capitalist enterprises that can produce tests, masks, ventilators. They just didn't do it. And why didn't they do it? Because it wasn't profitable. You know, to make a mask, what you have to do is you make it. Then you have to store it in a warehouse for maybe five years or 10 years before you need it. So you have to pay for the storage and you have to pay to make it clean and you have to pay to make sure it's secure. A private company looking at the profits it can make from a mask and looking at the risk of how many years it may have to do it decides it can make more profitable investments somewhere else doing something else. So that's what they did. They weren't prepared. But it's not that somebody made a mistake. That's the logic of capitalism. We allow the, the tests and the masks and the ventilators to be there based on what is profitable. There is the fundamental flaw. Capitalism organizes production so that the decisions governing it are driven by profit for a small group of people. In America, 10% of our people own 80% of the shares of stock of our companies. So a tiny minority, the profit for them governs what exists for all of us. So here we are talking, 600,000 Americans have died from COVID. This is a country that has 4% of the world's population and 20% of the world's dead from COVID. It is as dramatic a demonstration of capitalism's lack of adequacy for our period of history as the Black Plague in the 14th century, the bubonic plague carried by rats. That was the message that feudalism had broken down. It could not handle this kind of a situation. And I think we will look back on the combination of a COVID disaster with another economic crash. And they are two separate things that happened at the same time in this country. By the way, the worst crisis of the United States that it is not out of. And I certainly hope that people around the world are understanding that the United States is now going through the worst crisis of its history. You can criticize many things in the United States, but there are taboos. And the number one taboo is 
you cannot criticize capitalism. That is equated with disloyalty, with being an agent of another country, all kinds of fantasies. So the first project of democracy at work is to reopen the critical analysis of capitalism. And the second, and there are only two, and the second project is to offer a critique of traditional socialism with its emphasis on the government coming in and doing things that offset the failure of the private system. And by the way, we support the government doing that. We're not against that. But the argument is that socialism, particularly if you understand Marx, always intended to go further and to transform the workplace, the enterprise, to end, and here I come back to the history of Marx, to end the breakdown between a small number of people running the enterprise and a mass of people doing the work, to break down the employer-employee model, the employer-employee organization of the workplace, and to say that socialism ought to include, should have already included, the democratization of the workplace, the creation of a factory, of an office, of a store, whether private or public, in all cases, to make it democratic. One person, one vote. And together we decide what to produce, how to produce, where to produce, and what to do with the surplus all of us have helped to create. This is the addition to the tradition of socialism that democracy at work emphasizes. In fact, in a number of American states, the tax laws are so written that if you are an owner of a small business and you sell it to your workers, you get more favorable tax treatment for whatever you get than if you sell it to another a capitalist business. Last point. The problem with this idea becomes, of course, where will the workers get the money with which to buy such an enterprise? Here in the United States, there are banks that will lend to workers to do this. So first of all, let no one imagine that there is no commercial bank that will help. That's wrong. Number two, a local organization or a local group of organizations could, of course, help. Local churches have provided the funds to enable workers to buy these enterprises and to repay the church over a period of time. And this, of course, is easier when, and think about this, the workers are also members of that church. Then this becomes much easier to negotiate. Here's the third option. The government can be pressured politically to provide these funds. Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour Party leader in England, before he was ousted by the conservative portion of the Labour Party in England, Jeremy Corbyn was committed to do what I just said. He was committed that if he was elected the next prime minister of England, 
in place, for example, of Boris Johnson, who cannot spell the word co-op, let alone support it. Had Corbyn won, he was committed to pass the following law for all of England, all of Great Britain. Any business can continue in the form it currently exists. But if a business, any business, decides either to close down or to move out of England or to sell itself or to go public, it must first give what's called the legal right of first refusal to the workers to buy the company from the employers. They can only do those other things after they have offered it to the workers. If the workers do not want to buy it or cannot pay for it, then the employer is free to do all the other things. But they must give the workers right of first refusal. This story about capitalism being wonderful, this story is fading. You can't do that anymore. The right wing cannot rally its troops around capitalism. That's why it doesn't do it anymore. It rallies the troops around being hateful towards immigrants. It rallies the troops around fake elections. It rallies the troops about the right to buy a gun. It rallies the troops about white supremacy. Those issues, it can get some support, but let's get together for capitalism. That is dead. They can't do anything with that. They have to sneak the capitalism in behind those other issues because otherwise they have no mass political support. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.